0: Welcome to today's Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I am the CEO of Westminster Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters. Delighted that you could join us for today's podcast, which once again is sponsored by the Health and Safety Event. And if you don't know by now, yeah, um, I don't know where you've been, but the Health and Safety Event takes place at the NEC in Birmingham next year. It's completely free to attend. It takes place alongside the Fire Safety Event the security event, and the workplace event, on the 30th of April all the way through to the 2nd of May 2024. It's completely free to register to attend and your ticket gets you access to all of the other events that are on there. So you can register your interest to attend for free now. All you need to do is go to the healthandsafetyevent.com and HSM is proud to be the lead media partner of the Health and Safety Event. So please do go over across to healthandsafetyevent.com register your interest for the event. Now, as I always say, you don't have to wait till this podcast comes out to get the latest news in the health and safety sector. You can do so on our website, which is hsmsearch.com, or just throw into a search engine, health and safety matters, and up we come. And if you go to the health and safety matters website, you can see all the latest news, prosecutions, products and services, and best practice in the sector. If you click on the webinars tab right at the top of the website, you can see our huge archive of cpd webinars where you can watch and download a cpd certificate with your name on it or sign up for free to any of the upcoming webinars we can do the same you can also sign up to get our twice-a-week HSM e-newsletter, along with 50,000 other professionals, or you can sign up to get copies of the magazine for free on there or see our digital archive, and it also gives you access to our annual PPE Insights Guide, which has just gone to press, and also the annual BSIF Guide to UK Health and Safety that's up there. So plenty for you to look and see. You can follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn as well. But as always, we do start with the news, and I don't think I really have any choice but to go over the obvious big stories and that is the indefinite CE marking use extension announced. This has been somewhat controversial, probably, let's say, somewhat predictable and very frustrating for manufacturers in the sector. So the Department for Business and Trade, DBT, has announced its intention for an indefinitely extend the use of CE marking for businesses applying to 18 regulations owned by DBT. This comes as part of a wider package of smart regulations designed to ease businesses burdens and help to grow the economy by cutting barriers and red tape, so the government says. Following extensive engagement with industry, the British firms will be able to continue the use of CE marking alongside the UK CA marking. So the business secretary um, has acted urgently on the issue, they say, to prevent a cliff edge moment in December 2024 when UK CA marking was set for entry. This intervention will ensure businesses no longer face uncertainty over the regulation and can cut back on unnecessary costs freeing them up to focus on innovation and growth. So the Business Minister, um, Kevin uh, Hollenrake, said, the government is tackling red tape, cutting burdens for business and creating certainty for firms. We've listened to the industry and we're taking better action to deliver. So by extending the C mark across the UK, firms can now focus their time and money on creating jobs and growing the economy. This has been backed up by Tina McKenzie, who's the Policy Chair of the Federation of Small Businesses. And she says... It's welcome to see the continued recognition of CA mark products. This will allow time for small firms to adjust the UK CA marking system and focus on growing their businesses both at home and overseas. Uh, There's also a comment in the article from the CEO of Make UK, Stephen Phipson, and that's the manufacturer's organisation. And he says, This is a pragmatic and common sense decision that manufacturers will very much welcome and support. I think at this point, I probably really have to talk about comments from, you know, our partners, uh, the British Safety Industry Federation on this. And, you know, Alan Murray, the CEO there, has made a quite um, to the point statement on this. He says, the announcement on the 1st of August by the Department of Business and Trade that CE marking will continue to be accepted when placing manufactured goods, including PPE, on the market in Great Britain indefinitely, was in many ways not a surprise, given the number of times planned implementation dates had already been pushed back. The spin on this announcement was, as one would expect, around support for businesses reducing red tape, and the claim of support is hollow, in my opinion. It's something that should have been done three years ago, avoiding the excessive financial investments in UKCA compliance by BSIF members, and also very significant costs for approved bodies setting up and establishing themselves in the UK in order to be able to give product approval decisions under the now, at best, sidelined UKCA regime. I don't think I could put it any better than Alan, than that to be honest. It's incredibly frustrating. Um, huge, almost waste of time and money for manufacturers and, as we said, their approval bodies too. Uh, the government's backed itself into a corner. It, it's had to do this. The argument is, why didn't it do it all along? That's exactly what Alan's comment here is. You know, it it's a farce. Um, it's the right decision now, I, uh, obviously, at this point, but why it didn't happen from the start heaven only knows it wasn't well thought out and i think you know i think alan's been polite there marginalized or sidelined at best the ukca is probably the right way to put it um so the next news story i want to go on to is um you can see it on our website you can see all these news stories on our website so if you throw, go into the website hsmsearch.com we do have a search box for this if you put the title women's workplace health this will turn up, and, and the title of it is New Report Highlights Hidden Crisis for Women's Workplace Health. So BOHS, which is the British Occupational Hygiene Society, which is a scientific charity uh, and a charter society for workforce health protection, if you're not aware, has published a groundbreaking report titled Uncovering the UK's Hidden Crisis in Women's Workplace Health. And I think this is a really interesting report. So the report highlights the urgent need for measures to protect women from getting ill health at work. According to statistics by the HSC. 2022 labor force survey. Uh, it tables an estimated 918,000 women suffer from worsened health due to exposures at work, compared to 778,000 men. However, these figures are believed to be under indicating an alarming gap in monitoring, measuring, and reporting the true scale of problems. The report highlights that women are carrying more of a burden on occupational disease than men, and emphasises that immediate action is needed to address this crisis before it becomes unmanageable. So talking on this, BOHS President Alex Wilson said... We are witnessing a silent and growing crisis that is significantly damaging women's health in the workplace. A scientist committed to the prevention of workplace and ill health. I'm delighted that our society and occupational hygienists are showing leadership in the neglected area. However, the burden of occupational disease on women is an issue that demands urgent attention from stakeholders across the occupational health spectrum. So this report aims to initiate a discussion on this crisis. It examines instances where the relationship between work and society fails to safeguard women's workplace health the bohs advocates for considering the impact of the workplace of women's health and measures the national equality policy health and safety impact and social sustainability so adding to this the council for work and health, which brings together the bodies which represent the professionals delivering health, safety, and wellbeing services to the working-age population, commented BOHS. A member of the council has raised the important issue of women's health in the workplace and what may be a lack of awareness of the nature of the threats faced for women at work. So, the key highlights of this report, I think, is worth sharing with you guys. Is There's an alarming rise in work-related illness among women. We've obviously covered that. The report gives evidence that women are falling ill due to their work necessitating immediate action. There's an under-reporting, as I mentioned earlier, of women's work-related illness. And there's a need for monitoring reporting is another key thing. And the report also reveals that women carry a heavy burden of occupational disease compared to men of which is entirely preventable, the report says, presenting a significant opportunity for business, the economy and society to save costs and protect the health of the female workforce. So the BAHS is calling for everyone involved in occupational health protection to prioritise the impact of workplace on women's health. The society stresses the urgency of this collaboration efforts needs to happen now and this issue uh, must be pushed to ensure they healthier and more equitable work environment for all women." So, uh, it's really interesting stats. This, um, you know, what's worrying is the underreporting for sure, um, but it's a staggering difference 778,000 men compared to 918,000 women. And, and if we're saying, um, that it's underreported, the gap could be even worse. So, yeah, I completely support the BOHS's stance on this of uh, you know trying to push us forward because more does need to be done to protect all people in the workforce, but in this case, you know, particularly women to you know, um make it more in line with the numbers of men. Of course, everyone's aim in health and safety in OSH is to make sure that everyone um, in the workplace is safe and can return from work safe. And, and this is just another step, uh, this important step of pushing this forward. In this country, we have a very good and pretty static workplace fatalities um, statistics, which we covered in the last podcast. But you know, workplace health is an ongoing battle, whether it's mental health, um, physical health. And you know, it is really important that all employers do everything they can do to protect their workforce. So another story I want to go on to now, and I, I cover this infrequently. We cover it all the time on the website. In fact, the most read things on our website are often prosecutions, because I know you as safety practitioners read these prosecutions and you can relate them back to your to your workforce. And, you know, that they, they are stark warnings when um, a major health and safety incident happens. This particular incident... Um, is very mainstream one. It's 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 not one that so you can bring back into the workplace, but it's such a huge fine that I just wanted to share it with you. There was a 14 million pound fine for the Croydon trams crash failing. So Transport for London and Tram Operations Limited have been fined a total of fourteen million at the old Bailey in London following an investigation by the Office of Rail and Road. Uh, You know, I'm sure you're very familiar with the Croydon um, tram crash, um, and this is obviously a massive fine. Seven people died and many were injured, 19 seriously, when a tram travelling in poor weather and at three times the speed limit overturned approaching the uh, Sanderland Junction in Croydon on the 9th of November 2016. Of the 69 passengers on the tram, only one escaped injury. So this has obviously been major news, and like anything, does take a long time to go through the courts process. So each company pleaded guilty to offences, alleging that they had failed to do everything that was reasonably practicable to ensure the safety of passengers on the tram network. Neither company had performed a suit towards sufficient assessment of risks of high-speed derailment on the network. TFL, which owns and maintains the infrastructure used by the Croydon tram network, was fined a total of £10 million and uh, TOL, which operates the network, was fined £4 million. Since the accident, new safety measures and systems have been implemented, following recommendations from a rail accident investigation branch, um, which is the oversight of OOR, and these recommendations included new systems to prevent trams over-speeding around tight curves, improvements in managing driver attentiveness, more signage and chevrons at the Sandlands curve, and at other high-risk areas along the track. So the tramway sector has also instituted a new safety and standards body, the Light Rail Safety and Standards Board, which is LRSSB, the purpose of which is improving the sector's understanding of risk and setting recognised industry standards. So commenting on this, the Chief Inspector of Railways, Ian Prosser, CBE, said, when faced with the evidence of their failure over a number of years with TFL and TOL, Except that they had not done everything that was reasonably practical to ensure the safety of their pastures and the terrible consequences in the early morning of the 9th of November 2016. We must never forget this tragedy of that day and must strive to learn all of its lessons so there can be no repetition." Our thoughts remain with those of the lives who are affected. The judges' remarks and the sentences imposed underline to corporate defendants and the whole industry that the first responsibility is to ensure the safety of passengers and staff. We welcome the improvements made to the network since the incident, and we will continue to scrutinize this vital industry and hold operators to account if they fail um, short of these measures. I mean, you know, it's just something I wanted to share. I cover every so often a major fine. Uh, you know, very rare do I ever get to talk about multi million pound fines above you know 10 million so it's a 10 million fine here and a 4 million it's a true tragedy i'm sure i said we all remember it and i thought i would raise it now simply because you know there has been a lot done learning lessons since and obviously we hope that we'll never see another tragedy like this again so the last couple of things i want to cover now really is to help you guys in terms of learning So I'm delighted to say that registration has now opened up for our first ever in-person event for Health and Safety Matters, and that is Health and Safety Matters Live Scotland, which takes place at uh, the Edinburgh International Conference Centre on the 16th of November, 2023. That's this year. It's completely free to attend. Uh, We're very grateful to MSA for being a headline sponsor. It's also co-located with the NEBWASH Sustainability Conference. But you can register to come to hsm live scotland completely for free you just have to go to hsmlive.co.uk and you can go on there and register right now for free we've already had 250 if you register in the first week so thank you to all of you we're very much looking forward to seeing you up there the the thing about this event is yes you've got access to free lunch free networking etc and all around an exhibition of you know 40 of the latest products and services in the health and safety sector but we have got two theaters running with 10 sessions in each of cpd accredited content delivered by industry leading experts it's your chance to ask questions direct to these people and learn from them and get cpd on it and we've got speakers from the health and safety executive we've got speakers from the british safety industry federation and another one i want to pull out i'm not going to go through the entire list you can obviously see that on the website hsmlive.co.uk there is a Scottish health and safety legislation update but we've also got a health and safety mock trial being delivered by DAC Beechcroft it is actually on a real case that happened in Scotland based on Scottish case law where you guys will be the um the judge and jury uh, on this one you will decide as a jury whether the defendant is guilty it's a complete remake of the trial and I strongly suggest you come this is the first time that we've been to Scotland in a long time and it is the only major health and safety event in Scotland please do come along or consider coming along or encourage your colleagues to come along it's completely free get a great free lunch day great networking great education CBD certificate you name it 16th of November at Edinburgh International Convention Centre and you can go to hsmlive.co.uk to sign up for that now Now if you can't travel to Scotland, there is another great educational opportunity for you and that is the annual Health and Safety Matters Digital Conference is coming back and we very much hope that you can join us for that. Again, completely free for you to attend. It takes place on the 4th of October 2023. If you can't go live, don't worry, you can watch it on demand for a year for free afterwards. As I said, completely free. Headline sponsors ECO Online, our other sponsors are Safety Chair and Intellects and those three organisations are actually, if you register for this, they're actually giving exclusive downloads, educational downloads of videos that you can watch over in the sponsors' hall once you've logged in. On the day, you can live chat with other delegates, as always, on there, ask live questions to our presenters. And we have a great lineup of content for this. As I said, you can watch any of these sessions on demand afterwards for free, back and forth. You get a CPD certificate for each session that you go to with your name on. And uh, so we've got uh, Charles Oakley from the Health and Safety Executive. Um, talking. We have got uh, also Dave Pickton from Eco Online talking on carbon reduction and climate action. We have got 10 incremental ideas to take your safety code to the next level from Ben Henderson and Intellects. We've got Evacuation Shares, Friend or Foe by Mark Roberts from Emergency Group, which is a safety chair. We have also got a great session on building a more inclusive workplace, recognising menstruation and menopause being delivered by BSI. And also um, from Lauren uh, Cheering of Women of a Certain Stage. Uh, you know, this follows on nicely from the news story we we're just talking about, um, about women's health. We've got the British Safety Industry Federation, Roy Wilders. We'll be talking about taking the risk out of specifying PPE. And that will be, sure, will be a key topic of what we're about to talk about with our guests this episode of the podcast. And um, we also have uh, Louise Hoskins, the uh, former president of uh IOSH, the recent former president, uh talking about empowering organizational sustainability, integrating social and ethical considerations for balanced decision making across the globe. So this whole day it wraps up at two o five in the afternoon. I mean you can come in at any time in there, but the whole day starts at five to ten in the morning on the fourth of October, twenty twenty three. So please do come and uh t- t- to this event. You know, it's you can see it listed on our website um and you'll see everything on social media if you go to linkedin twitter we're promoting it very heavily so you can sign up for free definitely worth worth you going so i mentioned in there that um we're talking about uh RSSS and uh, respiratory protection that takes me on to our first guest on uh, this edition of the podcast and i'm delighted to be joined on this episode by a uh, good friend of ours um, and that is George Elliott of 3M and this particular um, in-depth sit down with George really covers a number of topics um, about respiratory protection particularly um, how things have changed since the pandemic. So I sat down with George earlier today and here's what he had to say.
1: morning george how are you i'm all yes very uh very well thank you how are you yeah good
0: good to see you i mean we've done a lot together over the years from uh, multiple webinars that hsm and 3m have done together your own heavy machinery events which i've helped chair up in uh, manchester and bracknell so it's always good to to see you george and i would imagine you're rather busy at the moment
1: yeah indeed indeed yeah it's, you know it's just thinking back, back to all, all, all the events that we've done, Mark, and. Um, all the kind of uh webinars and as you as you mentioned events that we've done so uh yeah a lot a lot in the pipeline that we've, we've got arranged for for later this year be it webinars be it events Uh, and also planning for for next year which is which which is pretty scary really
0: well you know and also it's worth saying we actually have a webinar if anyone is uh, with 3m if anyone is listening to this after the fact don't worry you can watch our webinars on demand with 3m there's a huge list on the hsm website so just go to hsmsearch.com click on the webinars tab at the top and you can see all past uh 3m webinars with us at georgia sat on plenty we have one that's taking place on the 6th of september um which is we're recording this george and i that is tomorrow <laughs> and uh that's all about work at height um safely in heavy manufacturing um so again you can go onto our website that will be stephen morris from 3m hosting that one so do go on to our Webinars website, if you're watching this after 6, don't worry, it's completely free, you get a CPD certificate with your name on it, go to hmsearch.com, click on the webinars tab and do go through all the past 3M webinars, they are well worth a listen. What, well, George, as I'm not doing a webinar with you personally tomorrow, this is my opportunity to grill you on a few things, so as usual, I'm going to fire away. Yeah. So, I want to talk yeah, about the pandemic absolutely. for a minute, if that's okay. Um so, yeah. How has the pandemic affected the respiratory industry in the UK, in your
1: opinion? Yeah, it's um, it's quite quite a broad a broad topic, really. Um, and maybe if I if I just focus on on disposable respirators, um, you know, certainly during the during the COVID pandemic and, and since there's been a, a heightened discussion of respirators, but also masks, face covering, surgical masks, etc. And you know, if you if you look back. Um, during during the pandemic, you, you wouldn't go a, a day without turning on the news and, and probably seeing one of those products being being worn. Um, so I think there's certainly that that kind of heightened discussion and, and awareness. But I think unfortunately, and you know, as, as I'm maybe yourself uh, have experienced, you know, sometimes we've seen that kind of misunderstanding of of what these items um, are, what they what they do, who they're providing protection for. Um, because when you when you do dig deeper um, you know there, there are differences in 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 these products and and also we found when it comes to respiratory protection um, we've certainly seen a, a kind of variance in in quality of products which which uh, came into the market during the pandemic and and, and thereafter and i also think that there's there's been that confusion with regards to, to the standards which which uh, disposable respirators, for an example, should be approved to and, and products carrying the, the correct markings. And certainly during the pandemic we saw we saw K and KN uh, rated and approved products coming into the market and and products without CE markings as well that maybe weren't approved to um, European and, and and EN standards. So I think that's that sort of um, muddied the water a little bit but i think uh you know me talking to you today and and other you know learnings that that we've had from 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 the pandemic i think i think we're certainly trying to promote best practice when it when it comes to selecting respiratory products and you know i've I've only got a look uh, at a recent hse um research report which was which was published um Earlier this year, uh, research report RR one one nine four, and and that looked at um, earloop products, which which certainly came into the market during the pandemic, um, and the the research report was was critical, uh, certainly regarding the the pass rates of, of face fit testing with these devices, um, and by all means, you know that those that are listening do do uh, look at the research report in, in more depth, but but certainly the, the kind of headline number from it was that from 99 face-fit tests that were conducted with these ear loop respirators, only two had an effective fit factor, which uh, in the UK is is over 100. So, you know, the, the main observation of those types of products was that, you know, it, these, these ear loop straps fail to provide that adequate tension. Um, to secure the product onto the face and, and this lack of tension and um, maybe ill-fitting of, of a nose clip resulted in visibly large gaps around the face seal. So that's just an, you know, an, another example of products which were coming into the market which previously, you know, weren't being utilised um, in the UK as as much. Um, so again, while, while I think the pandemic has increased awareness of, of the need for respiratory protection, I think... Um, you know, rather than, than simplifying things uh, with these ear uh, loop products coming to the market, non-EN rated products coming into the market over the last three or four years, um, you know, that, it certainly has created some confusion. We, we've experienced that with, with our customers. So I think in, in summary, Mark, because it's quite a, quite a broad broad question, you know, for, for those that are are maybe confused or, or, or looking for, for some guidance when it comes to, to selecting respiratory protective equipment, you know, making sure that when they are procuring these products that first and foremost the products are CE or, or UKCA approved. Although of course there's been recent changes with regards to UKCA markings. Um, also, you know, you have carried out due diligence uh, um, on on the quality of these products. Um, and also, and this is a topic in itself, you know, check the products in question are actually genuine um, and are counterfeited as well. And, and that's certainly where you can work with your uh, PPE manufacturer and, and, and supplier of PPE as well.
0: Yes, I don't think we're going to go over the CE and UKCA marking conversation at the moment, because I'm pretty sure everyone has strong views on that, uh, and certainly the BSIF do. But I, I want to talk about um, what you mentioned about counterfeit products. And we're talking about the BSIF there. Um Obviously, we as HSM support the BSAF's registered Supplier Scheme, and I know that's something that 3M are um, very supportive of as well. But when you mentioned counterfeit products, what did 3M do during the pandemic to counter this?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I said I, I didn't necessarily cover it in 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 the first uh, first question, but uh, um, yeah, I suppose this gives a bit of an opportunity to to expand. So. Yeah, certainly from, from our experience, we um we experienced and, and encountered a, a variety of, of counterfeit and, and forging activities, not only in the UK that I personally observe, but also um, in our activities globally. Um, and during the pandemic, and, and still up to this day, we we've we've got a reporting mechanism on our website where customers can raise concerns. Over potentially suspicious products, which they've seen in the market, maybe products that've been offered to them, and that's not just respiratory protection; that that's all forms of of, uh, of PPE. Um, but just to provide some some perspective, um, I just uh, you know got some 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 kind of numbers, and, and this is as correct from from today. Um, so since we established that reporting mechanism, um, we've had globally over eighteen thousand. Reports of of um, potential fraud or or, or counterfeiting, um, which have come into our system, uh, which is pretty incredible, really, given given we're only talking you know three and a three and a half years. Um, of those, we've actually taken um, well, we've got forty one lawsuits which have been filed to date on 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 those uh, reported incidents. Um, a really large number is is the fact that nearly sixty million. Uh, counterfeit respirators have, have been seized and, and you know we've helped support that with with um, local authorities um you know 60 million is a, is, a, is a huge number there that we've managed to have seized and, and, and not enter the market. Um, but we've also been able to work um, online um, with organizations across the globe to you know remove false or, or deceptive social media posts, um, fraudulent e-commerce offerings that that you know products that have been proposed which which don't actually actually exist. Um, so it's it's quite a significant uh, um, amount of, of work that we've been doing over, over the last three and a half years. Um, and it's it's very poignant. You you mentioned Mark up the, the BSIF um, registered safety supply scheme because you know that is certainly something that we would suggest. Um, End users look for when, when they're looking at, at PPE suppliers. Um, you know, it's, it's very advisable to work with with the PPE manufacturer of choice or, or your supplier of, of choice to ensure that products are, are genuine. And, and as you mentioned, you know, we are we are members of the the British Safety Industry Federation's Safe Supplier Scheme, um, and and this scheme, um, you know, is is where. PPE manufacturers and, and suppliers are audited by the BSIF to ensure that you know they are they're abiding by the strict compliance with the ins and outs of of manufacturing and selling PPE, given the the environments that these these products are being being worn. So um, certainly a, a kind of mark of, of authority is is to look out for, for for that safety supply scheme. And then when it comes to you know 3M products, you know respirators should, should be sold in 3M packaging um, which should include user instructions as, as well. Um, again we, we, we've got uh, our authorized distributors that, that we that we work directly with then we can certainly direct you towards those. Um, and again, just a reinforcement at the point of, of looking out for the BSIF Registered Safety Supplier Scheme. Um, and also, you know, the 3 end products are, are subject to stringent quality control measures. Um, so if it looks wrong, uh, it may well be. And, and again, that, that's where the end customers can reach out to us, um, either directly or, or through our reporting mechanism on the website.
0: And how can employers ensure that respiratory protection selected is compatible with other forms of PPA and fit together to ensure workers are protected? So how can that happen? What's the best way for employers to ensure that?
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so compatibility is is a key factor when it comes to you know combining um, a respirator in this example with um, other items of PPE or, or, or maybe uh, um, prescription spectacles. Um you know, and, and that's, that's what I talk around products being, being suitable for the application. You know, you, you've got to make sure products are adequate and suitable. Adequacy is, is what I call the, the, the Ron seal test. You know, is it, is it doing what it says on the tin? You know, you, you may need a, a respirator providing um, an assigned protection factor of 20, you know, for, for protection against whatever you're, you're trying to protect yourself from. And, you know, across, across the range of our respirators, we may have um, a dozen or so products which can provide that protection. But which is going to be most suitable for the end user, and with that in mind, which is going to be compatible with other items of PPE. Um, so it might be that when they're wearing their respirator, they need to wear eye protection, hearing protection, head protection, um, bump caps, visors, et cetera. And you know, when, when you're wearing a tight-fitting respirator, a disposable respirator, a reusable respirator, you know, we, we need to ensure that there's a seal between the, the, the respirator and the wearer's face, so any other items of of PPE which are worn on the face or head um, may compromise that fit, may affect that seal of, of the respirator to the face. And and I always um, you know look look at look at what the health and safety executives say when it comes to compatibility and, and any other topics. And you know, when when you look at their fit testing guidance information, INDG479, you know, it does outline that when people go through their face-fit test with a tight-fitting respirator. Um, they should be doing that when wearing the other items of, of head-worn PPE to ensure that they're not negatively influencing the fit of the respirator and therefore affecting compatibility. So I think it's it's written there in black and white that compatibility certainly needs to be considered. Um, and you know certainly working with your manufacturer of, of, of choice, you know, they they may have eye protection which has been designed to be worn with certain respirators, um, but also, you know, there's there's opportunities where combining items of of PPE in, into into one solution um, might be beneficial. So so maybe rather than wearing a a reusable respirator with um, uh, eyewear and and a and a hard hat or bump cap, it might be that you can integrate that with a um, uh, loose-fitting head top, which includes a helmet, a visor, um, connected up to, to a powered air re- respiratory system. So yeah, c- compatibility certainly needs to be considered on, on that individual basis, depending on what that individual is is also wearing and, and, and what the needs are within their working environment.
0: So George, a question that you know we always get um, on the RPE webinars is about facial hair and you know as two men with uh, designer stubble this is obviously an important question to us um so when we've done the webinars the question of facial hair and respiratory has always come up what can customers do for those with facial hair
1: yeah, as as you say, Mark, it's uh, something that I think we, you and I, always predict is is going to come up when when we do seminars and and, and webinars. And and I will say, Mark, um, I think you can speak for yourself on on the designer stubble. I'm 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 more just just lazy as as opposed to having it for any other reason. Um, but yeah, certainly for for you and I, bite um, fitting respirators, disposable respirators. Um, Reusable respirators, anything that is forming that seal between the respirator and, and our face um, should not be worn by those that have got uh, facial hair. You know, they, they, they rely on that tight seal between the respirator and the wearer's face. Therefore, wearers should be clean shaven Um when wearing the product within the workplace, but also for their for their face fit test as well, um, and sometimes that that message is is maybe difficult to to, to convey, and maybe this isn't the best means of, of communication because uh, we're obviously having a discussion, uh, and I can't necessarily show the audience, but hopefully what I can explain is relatively easy to to um, to to imagine, and 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 the way that I try to explain it is you know, talking around. Um, the the width and, and and size of a of, of, a, of a human hair a, a hair cell you know something that you can see with the naked eye uh, um you know that is that's anywhere between 100 to 125 microns um in in, in terms of its width and as i say it's, it's visible to, to the naked eye but when we're talking about the hazards that we're trying to protect ourselves from in the working environment be them particulates be them gas and vapor molecules you know, a, a vast majority of these are invisible to the naked eye. You know, we 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 just can't see them because they are so small. And and when you compare the the width of human hair, as I say, 100 to 125 microns, against um molecules and and um, and potential very small particulates that we're trying to protect ourselves, which may be um single microns down to fractions of micron. Um, hopefully people can can visualise that when you look at the hair on, 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 on your face, for example, you know, there are gaps between that hair and, and, and certainly, you know, the, these, these molecules and, and these particles can, can go between these gaps within the facial hair um, and bypass that seal. Um, so that's why it's important to, to be clean-shaven where that respirator seals to the face because you just can't afford to have those gaps where, where, your, where your facial hair is. Um, and also, those with with larger beards um, would potentially force the respirator away from 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 the face as 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 well. So, you know, that that sheer thickness of, of individual facial hairs um, can hold the respirator away from the face, but also create those leak paths um, for those micron sized particles, gases, and vapors um, to to leak through. And, and I think I think that's only reinforced within um, the HSE's viewpoint and. They had uh, another research report, um, I mentioned one a little bit early, but there's a research report from um, a few years ago, um, RR1052, um, which just reinforced the message that you know, facial hair can significantly reduce the expected level of protection um, for, for the wearer so individuals need to be clean shaven where that respirator um seals the face so yeah the the um hse are pretty clear for those with facial hair you know if an employee requires respiratory protection in the workplace and they've got facial hair then you know, there are non tight fitting devices available you know, typically this is going to be in the form of a, a loose fitting head top connected to a powered or, or supplied air device, um, providing either filtered air in, in, a, in a powered air device or breathable quality air to that head top. And, and because these devices aren't relying on a, on a tight seal to the face, um, and typically they've, they've got an elasticated seal which comes into contact with the chin or neck or even a, a shroud which enters the um, individual's clothing or or a coverall, for example. That you know, They're not relying on that seal. Um, and therefore, individuals do not need to be um, clean shaven where, you know, where, where they would be if, if a, if a tight fitting respirator was, was being worn. So I guess, you know, in, in conclusion, Mark, there's there's devices which are available for those um, in similar situations to you and I. Uh, and if respiratory protection is needed for, for you know, for, for example, you and I in the workplace, there are these loose fitting devices which, which should be considered.
0: So we've covered a lot today george but as a takeaway what would you advise those listening to the podcast to consider when assessing their current range of rpe and any potential future procurement
1: yeah you know i think i've i've uh, expanded quite a lot on on the on the previous answers but um i'll try and keep it simple as as a, as a bit of a conclusion and um you know, we we often at 3m talk about uh, a simple three-step procedure um which we we describe as as choose wisely um, so I guess the first step is is to is to check it. Um, so as discussed earlier you know make sure that the products are appropriately approved, marked, um, they're of sufficient quality, they're genuine products um, and they have come from you know an, an approved uh, supplier of the manufacturer and, and you know as we discussed earlier, um, that supply being part of the BSIF Registered Safety Supply Scheme. Um, the second one is is to fit it, and and what I mean by this is, you know, both face fit testing if if it's if it's required. But as we discussed earlier, you know, making sure that the respiratory protection also is 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 fitting the individual, they're comfortable, it's compatible with other head worn PPE. So ensuring that 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 fit is is adequately considered. And then the third piece is you know really you, you want these devices to be worn and, and worn at all times that, that they're required. Um, so we want to ensure that, that there is good compliance when wearing these types of devices amongst the workforce. Um, and, and often we've found that it's beneficial to involve the workforce in the selection process, you know possibly with, with trials so that, that the workforce you know have, have been able to feedback on on certain products that, that, that are being considered um and they've actually been involved in in that decision-making process so hopefully with that um you know there's that buy in from end users because they've been involved and and been a part of the the selection of of the most optimum uh respiratory solutions for themselves so yeah check it fit it um and then then wear it and, and hopefully we can we can boost that compliance
0: and George, we always finish the same way when we have guests on the podcast. We, you get a lot of key information today. If people want to find out more about 3M products or want to get in touch with you um, or anyone 3M, what is the easiest way to do so?
1: I suppose it, it depends on on um, the information that you you require. We've we've of course got our, um, got, our got our website. Um, uh, if you your, your search engine and, and search for 3M Personal Safety Division, um, you'll, you'll you'll find our website there, and obviously. Um, take yourself to, to, to the UK and Ireland portion. Um, you know, we, we've, we've got some self-service information there. We, we've, we've got a respiratory protection selection tool. Uh, we've, of course, got our, our data sheets of, of products available there and, and lots of other information, white papers and, and webinars, you know, as well as webinars we, we do with, with yourself and, and, and HSM, Mark. Um, we, we have our own webinar series as, as well. Um, we've also got lots of information on, on FaceFit testing uh, on the website as well, so, so that's kind of self-service. Uh, but we also do have um, a, uh, a helpline, so uh, people could actually fill in a, um, a helpline form on the website, um, and we'll, we'll get back to you following that. But we also have a, a telephone number, uh, um, so for UK callers it's 0870. and for those in Ireland it's 1800320500 so again if you want to have a a more in-depth discussion about your respiratory needs or even any other items of PPE um, then uh, you of course can um and then we've 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 got uh, LinkedIn, which which is a, a great platform where myself and colleagues do um, post a lot of content. You know, when it comes to respiratory protection, face fit testing, other items of PPE. Um, so an, another good platform to to connect in uh, because we we like to think that we post some some very educational uh, content. Well,
0: George, as always, great to see you, my friend, and and thank you for such a you know a great overview of everything RPE.
1: No, thanks mark a, a pleasure and and once again a, a great a great opportunity to to connect in with you and and share some uh hopefully people will consider some some good practice
0: and that's all we've got time for in this edition of the health and safety matters podcast my Huge thanks to George Elliott from 3M. And as I said, you don't need to wait for this podcast to see all the latest news, prosecutions, products and services, and health and safety sector. Go to our website, hsmsearch.com, or you can throw into a search engine, Health and Safety Matters, and up we come. If you go to the website, you can click on the webinars tab and watch back on demand for free any of our past webinars. You can also sign up to come up to any of our upcoming webinars. And obviously, we just talked about a 3M one and we talked about earlier about the HSM Digital Conference which is up there too. You can also sign up to get copies of HSM, the PP Insights Guide and the annual BSIF guide for free or just look at them online in our free online archive. Or you can sign up to get our Newsletter twice a week. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and social media. If you've got any comments and feedback on the podcast, please use the hashtag hsm podcast we'd really appreciate it if you leave feedback however you listen to podcasts or whatever application or youtube you're watching on it now please leave your comments and ideally give us a a good star rating on there it'd be much appreciated and i'd also like to finish by thanking our usual sponsor for the podcast which is the health and safety event and as we said, it's completely free for you to go to the Health and Safety event. Uh, it takes place next year, 2024, back at the NEC in Birmingham on the 30th of April to the 2nd of May. Co-located the Fire Safety event, the Security event and the Workplace event. Uh, one part gets you access free to all of that. And Health and Safety Matters are proud to be the uh, lead media partner for the Health and Safety event. And if you go to the website now, healthandsafetyevent.com, you can register your interest for a free ticket. But thank you for joining us. In the meantime, please do go to our website and follow us on social media. But until then, thanks for listening and we will see you next time on the Health and Safety Matters podcast.